Well, there you go. See you next week. <laughs> I actually felt that way again after looking at this one more time yesterday afternoon after I had torn up today's sermon about six or seven times. And, uh, but there's just so much stuff in the book of Psalms. And we could really spend the next 150 days, you know, one at a time, or 150 weeks, and uh, see where this is all going. But today we're going to just start with the very first one. And as I mentioned before, I, this is one of my favorite psalms, uh, only because the first two verses happen to be my confirmation verse. Way back in the day, uh, when I was probably about 13 years old, kneeling in front of Pastor Heidemann, who put his hands on my butch-waxed flat-top haircut, actually when I still had it, and he pronounced those words over me, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And I began to think, I think he's talking to me. And it's that verse is always kind of stuck in my head. But here today, we're going to talk about walk this way. And uh, in Psalm 1, he's describing a person that God blesses, but also describes the person that God condemns. There's, there's two parts here. So we're going to start with the person that God blesses here. And we'll sing that song a little bit later, but that's a good one anyway. Uh, verses 1 to 3. Uh, blessed, or in other words, happy or privileged is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. And that stands in the way really means seeks advice from sinners, uh, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. These are arrogant fools. That's the kind of the Hebrew behind that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. We come back to that word we just heard from the Bible project, the Torah. And on his law, he meditates. Now, it's kind of interesting to meditate in Hebrew really means to read aloud. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Reading scripture aloud. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. So, in other words, what he's telling us, the psalmist is saying that a person is blessed if they do not do one kind of thing but actually do another kind of thing. So people who want to be blessed, and I'm assuming that as we are gathered here this morning, we'd like to be blessed. Uh, we must not walk on the same road as people who are rebelling against God. Now, do we see any re rebelling against God in our society today or in our community or maybe even in our churches or in our families? Sure. And these are people who have no fear of God whatsoever. Uh, they can just shake their hand at the sky and curse God. Or they sometimes consider themselves, well, not only do they view themselves as above the local law, but they, they put themselves above God's law. Indeed, a person who wants to be blessed would probably live a whole lot more successfully if you had a strong relationship with God, delighting and meditating on God's word. So we're going to start by just talking about the person who's separated from the world. And that's verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, you and I uh, must not live our lives like the rest of this world. Now, the Hebrew word for wicked is rasha. Uh, its root idea is to be loose or unstable. And this word kind of has uh, two different ideas. It kind of means uh, to be to living loose with your morals, you know, that you got your morals aren't really set. You just wishy-washy, I guess we call it. It also means to be loose from God as your anchor. It refers to people who are controlled by what? They're controlled by their human desires. Uh, they let their emotions rule their heart. 
they let their flesh uh, rule instead of listening to the word of God and, and, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're supposed to avoid counsel from people who actually do not have God as their anchor. And the Bible has a lot to say. Good morning. How we uh, say uh, how to say how we should walk. Uh, for example, in Psalm 143, if we get there someday, verse eight, uh, teach me the way in which I should walk for you. I lift my soul. Or going into the New Testament, Paul echoes these same things in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, I implore you, that's like begging you, I am begging you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So, uh, is that easy to do? Uh, Not really. As sinful human beings, we struggle with that all the time. Uh, It takes discipline. It takes determination. It takes a certain amount of dedication. See, a person who is separated from this world will not stand in the way of sinners. And that Hebrew, again, stand really means to remain. You may be walking with somebody who's a sinner. You said, hold it, but I'm not going to stand with you. I don't know if you notice this. We walk with people and also we stand with people. And then sometimes we end up sitting down with people. There's a disconnect. Walk, walk with a sinner, yeah, opportunity to share Jesus. Um, stand with them, yeah, maybe to talk about, but, but to be with them all the time. Maybe sometimes you just need to cut the rope there a little bit. Uh, now, it says a person who's separated from this world will not stand or remain in the way of sinners. And that word sinner um, in the Hebrew is an old archery term, bow and arrows. And, and it means to fall short or to miss the mark. I think in the Greek it's amartia, which is the same kind of word. Uh, The mark is always doing the will of God. But sin here is a transgression of God's law. We're not coming anywhere close to what God says sometimes in the way how we react to different things. I mean, my gosh, we don't even know what the difference is between men and women anymore. We've kind of gone away from Genesis where it says in the beginning he created what? Man and woman. Hmm. Well, that's a novel idea. Well, that's what happens when you start separating yourself from God's word and you start working in the world. Uh, now, we're all sinners. I mean, that's us. I mean, we should probably put a sign out on the road that says only sinners allowed. I wonder how many more people that would attract. <laughs> it's not. Sometimes churches have the idea of, well, only people who really believe in Jesus and have their life all straightened out are welcome. No, sinners are welcome in God's house. Now, uh, we're not to remain there. Uh, we're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. This is why Jesus had to die for our sins so that we might have his righteousness. Took our sin off of us, put his righteousness on him. But this word sinners, and I don't think anybody likes to be called a sinner. I mean, if I said, Jeff, you know, just one evil, wicked, bad, nasty sinner. Uh, Now, Jeff probably understands that a little bit more, but some of you, if I said that to you, probably wouldn't like it if I said it that way. Who are you calling a sinner? Well, I'm, I'm at least better than you. Well, that we're just arguing which who's a, a better or not quite so bad sinner. We're still talking about sinner here. But sinner refers to people who have deliberately, deliberately chosen a life or a path that is contrary to anything and everything that God's word has to say. 
Now, the man of blessedness instead chooses to direct his life or her life by God's will. And, and so we've got to learn to not stand with these other folks. But at the same time, I want to tell you, sometimes it's not a bad thing to stand with those folks for a little while because you have the opportunity to do what? Bring Jesus into that conversation somehow. And at the same time, you're kind of praying. I do this every once in a while and I get it, talking to some people. I'm kind of praying, Lord, let me know when it's a good time, perhaps, to walk away. Because sometimes people are just too hardened against God's word. You can't always sow the good seed on hard ground. So the question is, how should you and I stand? Well, Psalm 33, we might get to that one sooner or later, too. It says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We could have probably sung that song today. I stand in awe of you. Or if we go into the New Testament, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, stand firm in the faith. In other words, stand solid in what you truly believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Paul talking to the Philippians, chapter 127, he says, stand together with one mind and one spirit. I think that's a pastor's prayer for his church. That'd be a prayer that I should be praying all the time for the people at Restore, or if I'm at, at Praise and Worship in a couple of weeks or wherever it be. People, let's stand firm together with one mind and one spirit. We're all in this together. See, a person who's separated from the world will also not sit in the seat of mockers. Well, the word sit uh, means to dwell or remain or abide. You may be with them, but you're not going to sit down and stay there with them. And I'm afraid that sometimes this is the state of the majority, even the majority of churches today. Uh, Some current polls have compared um, the church people with the unchurched people and they find out that there's basically no difference in the way that they live their lives. Isn't that interesting? Shouldn't one, shouldn't there be a difference, perhaps? Maybe we're not making inroads in there. It says, you also don't sit in the seat of mockers. Now, that word means to ridicule. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody who actually made fun of Jesus, for example, or who made fun of the Christian faith. It refers to a person who's actively engaged in putting God down. Uh, I watched a little part of an interview the other day that somebody said, well, you know, your, your God is useless in the conflict in Israel. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I think my God is always useful. Um, well, they put down God or they say, well, the Bible, well, the Bible, it, it's not really true. Or they'll take a single verse out of it and say, they'll quote a part of a verse and say, see, I'm hold it, read it in context, like from Genesis to Revelation, for example. Uh, sometimes they ridicule, sometimes they reject it, sometimes they, they listen, but then I've had somebody tell me this one time, well, that's interesting, but it's your opinion. Now, I always have to kind of hold my tongue a little bit because what I want to say is, no, it's not my opinion, it's God's. And God's opinion is a whole lot bigger than mine. So how do you avoid this stuff in the world today? Well, first of all, we need to be people who are saturated with the word. Uh, Verse 2 says, but his delight, this is the person who walks with the Lord, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, the the law of the Lord, as we saw here in the Bible Project, and we're really talking about initially, it was called the Torah. 
But today we had expanded to say, well, from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to meditate on the word of the Lord. And notice it says this is not something the blessed man has to do. It says this is something that the man of God loves to do. But we need to be a little honest here. Uh, Our Bible knowledge is often limited. Now, God doesn't expect us all to like have a doctorate like I do, or we've got uh, Becky who's got her doctorate in apology. He doesn't expect us to have a doctorate in this stuff, but he does expect us to school ourselves with his word and defend our faith and explain what it is that we actually believe. So I'm going to ask this question that was asked of me at a Bible class a couple weeks ago. And somebody said, you know, you're a pastor. Uh, How often should we read our Bible? I don't know how you'd answer that, you know, kind of depending upon how you do it. (laughs) And I said, well, in my job, which is really a fair way to say it's like all every day. I'm going to give you a a really great illustration. Uh, World War II Lieutenant General William K. Harrison was the most decorated uh, soldier in the 30th Infantry Division. Uh, he received every decoration for value, valor, with the exception of the Congressional Medal of Honor. But on the other hand, he also got the one the Distinguished Silver Cross, the Silver Star, the Bronze Star for Valor, and the Purple Heart, being one of very few generals who were ever actually wounded in action, which I thought was kind of interesting. Now, General Harrison uh, was a soldier's soldier who had an amazingly busy life, but he was also an amazing man of his word. When he was a 20-year-old West Point cadet, he began reading through the Old Testament once every year and the New Testament twice. And General Harrison did this until the day that he died. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, man, this has got to be one of the busiest people. I mean, everything this guy was doing, and yet he systematically fed on God's word. I'm not sure anybody could be any more busy or lead a more demanding schedule than General Harrison. Kind of made me rethink sometimes about how much I need to be doing this. Well, the second part of verse 2 says, on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, meditate today, sometimes, uh, this is um, this is Mideast, Middle Eastern stuff, this is cultic stuff, this meditation. Uh, but that's not the idea. It, it's It's to think about the instruction that God has given us for life and then shape our thoughts and our attitudes and our life around them. Um, Some of you maybe grew up in a kind of a farming community. I grew up in a farming community. A lot of people had cattle. Uh, You probably know that meditate has a lot to do with chewing the cud. Anybody know what that is? Cows chewing their cud. Uh, You know, a cow has, I don't remember how many stomachs, four of them. And um, what happens is uh, they can go out in the morning, they eat, graze on the grass, the dew is cool, uh, it's a great day, but when it gets hot, the cow lays down underneath the tree and basically chews its cud by regurgitating from one stomach to another and then chewing the same food over and over. I, I've done that once or twice by accident, but uh, <laughs> I'm not condoning it. Yeah. And so this is what we do when we meditate. We go over what we've read 
again and again and again. I'm not going to ask any of you to raise your hand on this, but have you read a Bible verse for the second time or the third time or the eighth time and the tenth time? And you thought, oh, my gosh, how did I miss that the first time I ever saw that verse? I think all of us have probably had that happen to us one time or another. I mean, if you chew on the simplest passage find it found in the Bible, you know, just for example, Jesus wept. That's a pretty short one. Or if you want a little bit longer, God is love. Meditate on Chew around on that for a while. See, if we go to God's word in prayer and depend on the Holy Spirit, who's the resident president, that verse begins to hold a whole lot more than we ever thought was actually there. And usually the first time we ever read a verse uh, and we look at a passage, sometimes we just don't see much. That's why we need to go back. Yeah, thinking about this, some of you remember a story. I think this is back in First Kings, I don't know, chapter 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Um, Elijah had just uh, battled with the prophets of Baal and on top of Mount Carmel. And God told Elijah at that time, you better start running because it's about to rain. And so what Elijah did was he told his servant to go and uh, run towards the sea and take a look because the clouds would be coming from the sea. And the guy came back and said, I don't see anything. And, and what did Elijah do? He said, go back. He sent him back seven times. And the servant then finally saw a cloud that was about as small as a fist that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly the whole sky was filled with clouds. So all I'm saying is you may look at a scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, for example, Psalm 23. And you don't really see anything because you don't know anything about sheep. You've never met a shepherd. And he says, I don't want anything. What do you mean? I want stuff all the time. Uh, But if you meditate on it, chew on it, you're going to see some great things. And by going at it over and over and over again, it becomes part of your life. Now, I kind of put a late addition in here. It's something I do. I should have put it on the screen this morning. But if you're interested to see this written out, I'll give it to you sometimes. But for years, I have used something that I came up with many times ago and have taught in prison. It's called Space Pets. S-P-A-C-E-P-E-T-S. And I had a goofy picture of a spaceman on there, and I taught this to the guys at Angola Prison. And so we need to all learn how to space pet scripture. S, is there a sin to confess in that verse? P, is there a promise to claim in that verse? You pick any verse you want. A, is there an attitude you ought to change? Uh, C, is there a confession or a command to keep? Or E, is there an example to follow? Or P, is there a prayer to pray on this basis? Or is E, is there an error that you should avoid? Uh, and T, is, is there a truth to believe? And the S is something to thank God for. I'd be glad to give you that, you know, write that out for you, whatever, send it to you, email it, text you, whatever. But just take a scripture someday. I don't care what verse you take. Take John 3.16. Most people know that one. Or your favorite Bible verse. You know, maybe you've got Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he'll make straight your path. Okay, is there a sin to confess there? Yeah, I wander off the path. Is there a promise? Yeah, he'll make your path straight. Is there an attitude to change? Yeah, I, I need to lean on his, lean on him and not on my own understanding. And now just pray that. Here's the second thing we need to consider. We need to be a person who is situated by the waters. Verse 3, 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, what does that teach? Well, a tree, first of all, it teaches us a tree has deep roots. It's sturdy, especially if you compare it to a tumbleweed. Some of you know what a tumbleweed is. I don't see too many around here. It also pictures the concept of growth over a period of time. Uh, It takes time to produce a uh, huge oak tree and time to grow and mature in the word. You know, people ask me, well, how, how long did it take you to learn this? Well, today I'm... Hold on, I'm 79. It's taken me 79 years to this point to learn what I know now. Come back in a year and see if I've learned anything else. How long have you been in, at this stuff, Jeff? Studying God's Word? Uh, studying? Yeah, study. Really study? Oh, just give me a ballpark. Uh, 30 years. Okay, 30 years. You think we come back next year and it's 31? Jeff's learned anything else? I'm sure. And I would hope we'd be able to say that about anybody and everybody who's here today. I know a little bit more than I did before, before last week, before this morning, whatever. See, just as the tree, the life of the tree is dependent upon a slight, the, the uh, uh, supply of water, our spiritual life is dependent upon the abundant supply of what God gives us through his word. And so the waters we are situated by, and we might say, well, what, what is restored? It's a watering hole. Go out to the horse farm. Got tanks out there. Horses don't come and knock at the door with a hoof and say, can I have a glass of water or a bottle of water? No, the water is out there. Because animals, like people, need to be watered. We need to be watered, too. And how do we get watered? We get watered by God's word, uh, by uh, his spirit. Uh, We get watered by his peace or his grace or his righteousness. But also notice it said the tree is planted. Now, it's kind of interesting. The Hebrew actually means transplanted, transplanted. See, transplanting is taking a tree growing in the desert and then transplanting it in rich soil by streams of water. And before we were saved, whenever that might have been, We were all dead in sin, but God chose to do what? To transplant us into Jesus. And with this new position, he gives us all the resources we need, good soil, good water, all those kind of things. So a blessed person is also a tree that produces fruit, whose leaves don't fade away. It adds, in all that he does, he prospers. In other words, he keeps making progress. Now, the question is, does God really mean that, that you're going to continue to make progress in your spiritual life? Sure. But this is not a blank check to be filled as we want. Uh, the person prospers. Why? Because they seek God's will. Uh, it, it's on him he delights. It's on him he meditates. That's the good person, if you will. What about the person God judges? Well, we look at verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not sore, but like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, the wicked, the Hebrew word is crooked or guilty, are like chaff. Now, I grew up in Nebraska where they have wheat. And you know that when you harvest the wheat and it turns out, you know, just the kernels, all the rest of this stuff is chaff. It's useless. It's not good for much of anything. They just throw it in the fire and burn it. Matthew 3.13, 
uh, 3.12 says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That kind of gets a picture of Judgment Day, doesn't it? So I just say, don't believe the devil's lie about anything about God's word. Don't follow the rest of this world when it tries to draw you away from righteous living. Part of the reason I don't watch much news, because sometimes I get so embroiled in, in the news, it starts drawing me away, and I start getting angry at people. And I almost, oh, God ought to just come down and smoke these people right where they're at, or why don't we just go out and shoot a bunch of these people? Like, oh, where did that thought come from? Well, don't believe the devil's lie. Let me give you a great example. In the Garden of Eden, um, the devil told Eve uh, that if she disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit, her eyes would be opened, and Genesis said she would be like she would be like God, knowing both good and evil. Sounds like a pretty good deal, huh? But she didn't become God. Who'd she become like? She became like Satan. And guess what? Her eyes weren't opened either. So we're really left with two ways. That's what this psalm's talking about. Two ways to live life. Verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, what? It leads to death. That's the way of the wicked. The way of the righteous, the right livers, if you will, is the way of Jesus, who says a little bit differently in John chapter 14, 6. I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. And then we get to add it on there. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There it is. But there's also something rather unusual about verse 6. It does not say that the Lord watches over the righteous and punishes the wicked. It doesn't say that. Rather, it says the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. A little bit different. In other words, there's really only two ways to live life. Every person chooses one of them. I'm tempted to say, you know, as for me and my house, we will, we will take choice number one. We'll take what's behind door number one. Matthew uh, 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, put it this way. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is, what, wide, and the way is broad, but the way that is wide and broad leads to what? The destruction, and there are many people who walk through it. That's our world today. That was our world in Jesus' day. That was the way of the world back in Genesis 1. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So I guess I would just end up this message today, this time of teaching today, to say, if you really desire the blessing of God in your life, I'm going to go back to the title of today's message, Walk in His Way. It's just that simple.